Hello, hello, leading women in tech. Oh my goodness me, I have got a super special episode for you today. During the fall, I reached out to a number of recruiters to ask them what they wish people were doing differently as we are in the great resignation. And we still are, by the way, it might be 2022, but the great resignation is still going on. And I interviewed them all and I finally got it all together into one properly awesome episode for you. This is the stuff I wish I had known. I've actually learned some stuff, even though I coach women through landing new jobs, particularly leadership roles. And yet there were things I didn't appreciate from this. So this is a super full episode. I strongly encourage you to whip out your notebook before <laughs> listening to this episode. If you are ever planning to apply for another job ever again in your career, which unless you're approaching your retirement or you're in your own business, it's probably you please whip out your notebook and write it down. There's also some top tips at the end for hiring managers. So if you're a hiring manager or have a plan to be, then make sure you listen all the way to the end for that. So it's a bit different from your normal episode. I'll be giving a few of my insights along the way. Well, I, I truly hope this is as powerful for you as it is for me. Before we do that, let me just give you one very important update, which is doors to Lit Up Leadership Academy are now open. Oh, holy heck yes. Now, I'm only inviting a very small number of women in this time round um, because we've got a lot of people still continuing. So if you are keen to join Lit Up Leadership Academy, remember you can join for as little as a month. It is a membership. You join and you can leave whenever you feel like, you know, you need time to do something else or you've gone through the majority of the materials, although I'm always adding more materials but doors are now open. So join, give it a go for one month or more and be the person who is changing her life this year. That's what the Lit Up Leadership Academy is about. It has this two-pronged approach. We don't just deal with your leadership, we deal with your career as well because the two things are so intertwined. So this recruiter conversation episode is perfect actually for Lit Up Leisure Academy. I'm going to be getting all the members to listen to this conversation as well because one of the things I dive into inside Lit Up Leadership Academy is actually how to land your next job. Because if you are wanting to increase your leadership, one of the easiest ways to do that is to get a promotion or land the next role in a new company. So we have a whole section on the academy on doing that, not just on your leadership skills, because they do go hand in hand, the two things. So if that sounds good to you, go and check out Lit Up Leadership Academy at tonycollis.com forward slash academy. And as always, a link is in the show notes. But let's dive into today's episode first and foremost. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. So I interviewed four fabulous recruiters, all who get the need for more diversity in tech. That was really important to me when I was sourcing these amazing recruiters. Mixture of men and women, you're going to hear from four people, two men, two women, all extraordinary in their own right. The first question I asked them though, just like gauge where they're at is, what do they see as the biggest barrier in tech to recruiting a more diverse candidates? Here's what the first lady had to say. Yeah, so there's a lot of barriers. Uh, this is obviously a systemic issue. Uh, but I would say that a big one is the pressure to hire quickly. 
many times you have a pool of candidates consisting of, you know, only white men who are perfectly capable and qualified to fill this role. And the team needs this person. Maybe they need it right away. So they prioritize hiring someone as soon as possible rather than emphasizing quality and diversity in their team. And if the company's leaders are genuinely committed to making a systemic change, I will say that they'll be open to talk about some short-term trade-offs and changes uh, you know, that we may need to make to improve diversity and inclusion. That was the extraordinary Natalie Leon, who is a technical recruiter at Customer IO. I highly recommend connecting with her. As with all the other recruiters showcased in this episode, I have put the link to their LinkedIn pages in the show notes. Please go ahead and connect with all of these amazing recruiters. But Natalie specializes in matching talent with any corner of the world. So she really works on recruiting remote teams to technical roles in the SaaS industry. So if that's you, Natalie's your lady to go to. But next up, we heard from Joe Van Tassel. Joe is the owner of Integress, which is a boutique search firm based in Orange County, California. And he focuses on attracting technical talent in IT, manufacturing, industry automation, and distribution material handling industries. Here's what he had to say about the barriers to diverse recruitment. So I, I, I think it really certainly depends on what type of role that you're trying to recruit for. Um, you know, I think in specific roles, um, there's just a lack of talent, right? There's just not enough of it. So, you know, specifically with, with women and, and um, in tech, a lot of times what we found is I find a lot of uh, women in functional type roles, but not so much in, in development um, technical roles. And so when we're looking on the development side, there's typically not enough of them. And then on certainly the functional side, we certainly find a lot more of them in like business analyst, project management, relation type building. Next up, I spoke to Amanda Scott. Amanda Scott is the owner of her own bespoke farm, Solution Harbor, and she works to recruit people into business, hire key employees and operations, finance, human resources, and of course, tech as well. This is what Amanda had to say. I mean, I think the biggest issue is just underrepresentation. So I think as women or people that are more diverse, that if they can mentor uh, like-minded, like diverse candidates or employees, I just there aren't that many women that exist. You know, I have so many clients that tell me they would love to have women at their company and I try to identify them and I can't. And so I just think they're underrepresented and those that do exist, I think they're not as visible as they could be. So if you are a woman in tech or another diverse type of candidate in tech or any sort of professional field that's underrepresented, make yourself visible. Make yourself visible on LinkedIn. Make yourself visible in your organization. There's just a lack. There's a lack of representation and a lack, lack of visibility. I thought Amanda and Joe both highlighted something that I hear very frequently from recruiters, which is there are not enough women. But Amanda went a step further there, pointing out that we're also not visible enough. And I work so much with so many of the women I personally coach and also in the academy on improving our visibility we often aren't as visible either in our own companies even though we think we are and certainly not to the big bad world out there 
as we think we are. So if the number one takeaway you got from today was go and work on your visibility, I would say that all of us could work on our visibility. We're never done on that piece. We just pause when we land something. So always be working on your visibility. Go out there and connect, connect, connect. Finally, I reached out to a former VP of engineering turned recruiter, Eric Gong. Again, he runs his own company, ericgong.com, and specializes in hiring people into leadership positions in technology. Who better to ask? Here's what Eric had to say. Yeah. Okay. That's a bajillion dollar question. Um, all right, the biggest barrier is actually like hiring managers and companies themselves. Uh, I think they shoot themselves in the foot all the time. They say diversity and they don't put in the work. I think the, the biggest problem is like, okay, they say they want diversity and then they make sure everyone fits into this like tiny box that they want, that they want them to fit in. Instead of judging candidates for their accomplishments, their uh, potential and their overall ability. So I think that's the biggest barrier because the candidates, they're out there and they're highly qualified and they're going to do a great job. And this is through my experience previously uh, within tech and also working with uh, uh, some hiring managers and talking to them, right? I think in the past, more so than now, and you, you, we've actually all seen this dynamic change over the years, which is hey, we want someone with the quote-unquote Silicon Valley spirit. We want them Stanford-educated, ex-GPA. They have to have worked uh, at Google and have this pedigree, right? And that is the box that uh, people started putting candidates in. Oh, to do well as an engineer, you need to be able to do this complicated algorithm. And that's the box that people have been put through, and that's why engineers hate interviewing, because it doesn't really make any sense. So if this is the box that uh, is the only way you can have a good engineer, that's why there's no diverse candidates. And I'm an example of that. I'm a career switcher. I went to a programming boot camp. When I came out, uh, it was only algorithm interviews. I got laughed out the door, right? Some people even said, you're never gonna make it as an engineer. And I think I'm one of those examples where you could come from all different kind of backgrounds and learn what it takes to be a good software engineer and not fit into the box that other people think software engineers have to fit in. I think Eric really hits nail on the head here. And you can tell he's the one of the four that I interviewed who has that experience of being a techie himself. He actually gets, because of his previous roles, what it takes to be a techie. And also, therefore, the blinkers that many of us, including us as women, by the way, we are not immune to this, but we put on. We're like, they must have this, this, and this. So if you're a hiring manager, this one is also for you. Have a think about what is the actual required? Why do you need a particular GPA? Why do you need a particular qualification? We've all seen the stupid adverts for years of experience in a thing where that thing has only been around for like half the number of years and they're asking for experience in, right? But it goes so much further than that. I think Eric really hits the nail on the head. A lot of the time, there are enough candidates out there, despite what the others were saying. They don't know any better. They haven't got the experience of working in this industry themselves. They have to trust the hiring manager and the company that's hired them to recruit. And so 
I think part of it is making sure that we as individuals are appealing to a broad range, but also the right niche and being visible. But at the same time, hiring managers and companies really working on, well, what's actually necessary? Because you know what, the recruiter, it's not their job to read our minds as hiring managers. That was a really great opening question. But now I want to dig into what we can do more. And so the next thing I asked everybody was, how can women, us, that is, leverage the hot market that there is right now in a better way? And here's what they had to say. Yeah, so I would say that it's important to do two things. So one is putting yourself out there, uh, being discoverable, like so recruiters and other tech leaders can find you. And I think this can be done by, you know, sharing content on social media or having your own blog, uh, participating in conferences, joining communities of other women in tech, etc. So many tech companies want to have diverse teams. So recruiters look through these platforms to find female talent uh, because we usually don't get a diverse pipeline, but by just posting a job ad. So yeah, put yourself out there and making yourself discoverable through these platforms. I think it's important. And also the second way of taking advantage of the high demand for leading in tech roles, I think is uh, working on your mindset so you can be better at negotiating your salary or benefits. I love that Natalie emphasized that visibility piece, which obviously we've already heard before, but Amanda goes a level deeper and tells us actually what we need to be doing with our LinkedIn profiles. So if someone is in trying to find a new opportunity, a new job opportunity, LinkedIn is the number one place to be these days. I don't think there's any um, substitution for human interaction and human networking. So I think that is still very important. If you are considering a new opportunity, you need to optimize your LinkedIn profile. It should be thorough. You should have connections. You should have recommendations from people that you've worked with. You need to have key terminology in your LinkedIn profile that relates to the jobs that you're interested in. I would leave things out that you haven't enjoyed doing in the past professionally. If that's not what you're targeting, don't include it in your LinkedIn. Certainly don't lie and be inclusive of your work history, but don't go on and on about details of work history that is not applicable to what you're targeting. Make your LinkedIn profile read in a way that a hiring manager for the, the winning job that you want goes, wow, this person looks like they'd be a qualified candidate. Amanda hits all the things that I often say to everybody, whether they're my clients or in the Tip Leadership Academy. It's also what I take you through in the Tip Leadership Academy and also in the Leveraging LinkedIn kit, which you can find on my shop, by the way. As in, like, you've got to make sure your profile speaks to what you want. Leave out what is attracting the wrong kind of interest. Make sure it speaks to what the hiring manager needs to leave. And I always say to people, this is a bit of an experiment. Try something, leave it for three or four weeks. Does it work? Does it change the kind of outreach that you're receiving? Right now, if you are open to work on LinkedIn, you should be receiving between three and 10 outreaches per week from recruiters. That is how hot the market is. 
If you're not getting that or you're getting it for the wrong thing, there's something wrong with your profile, my love. (laughs) So really lean into the advice you've heard here from Natalie and Amanda. Next up, I asked the recruiters each, what did you wish candidates each did more of? This one was full of gold. So here goes. First up, we're going to hear from Eric. Here's what Eric had to say, which I just love. Yeah. um, Number one thing, knowing what you want in your career and in the next role. I, I, I think my experience is like, I think people don't even either don't put in the work or don't put in enough work. But I do feel like if you know exactly what you want and you, and you kind of manifest that and you could, you could verbalize it, you're going to get what you want. Amanda then went a little bit further on this one. I think that candidates really need to remember that they are interviewing the company and hiring manager as much as they are being interviewed. One of the questions I ask every candidate is, what are the most important things to you in looking for a career change? You'd be shocked how many people can't answer that question. When I ask a hiring manager, what are the most important things in hiring a candidate? They'll come up with a list of 50 things. So as a candidate, come up with five things, whether that's a specific technical skill you'd like to obtain or expand, uh, the type of industry, the type of company. It could be work-life balance. It could be work-from-home potential. It could be you know, a company that's doing great things for the environment or the world. It could be a company that does community service work together, whatever it is. Come up with five most important, these things need to be in place or I'm not taking this job because this is a partnership. It's employee-employer. It's a two-sided street and you need to carefully consider anywhere you go. And then both Joe and Natalie had completely different takes on this question. So there's some really good nuggets here. Yeah, I think now more than ever, I think women, they've got a great opportunity to to connect with leaders, right? And I think that the most important thing that I see most people don't do or most candidates don't do is people need to reach out directly to these leaders and tell them their story, right? And not be shy to to connect with people in organizations. I mean, these days you have LinkedIn, right? LinkedIn's essentially, it gives you the entire org chart in terms of who is leading what. And so you'd be shocked at how many people just would send a resume in and say, well, nobody actually called me back for this opportunity. People more than ever want assertive, proactive candidates reaching out saying, hey, this is who I am. I see what you guys are doing and how you're impacting the world. I connect with that. And I want to tell you about my story. Uh, I would love to see more candidates asking direct questions that will help them to move to the next stages of the interview process. So, for example, asking a simple question like, um, is there anything about my work background that makes you hesitant to move me forward in the interview process? Uh, you know, that's a simple question, but hiring managers and recruiters like questions like this because it shows a sense of self-awareness and also the candidate can openly address any concerns and convince them of why this is not a real issue. And it, it can make the difference between moving into the next stage or not. 
They shared so many great nuggets of wisdom there. I really hope you got those written down. (laughs) These are all things I think all of us need to be doing more of. So next we went into negotiations because I see so many women underselling themselves in negotiations, um, not negotiating purposely. So I asked each of them, what should successful candidates on the point where they get an offer, what do they need to be doing to improve their negotiation? Here's what they had to say. So when you're having negotiations, you add that with the data, right? Then it's really purposeful, right? Um, because you have the data and you you know what you want. And I think there, there are probably some tactics to like ask for more money in a nicer way, uh, which people could learn. But like once you're intentional and you have the data, it, you, you have superpowers, especially in the hot market. You have all the leverage now. So you better take advantage of it uh, while the market's hot. And I think like one meta point I'll make is like, if you make the salary jump in a hot market, um, then you in your next row can actually ask for more. But if you don't make the salary jump or a title jump in your uh, in, in a high market, you're you're gonna put a cap on uh, on yourself. Eric's answer was really insightful because he reflected on what he'd said uh, about what candidates should do more of, which is know what you want. Basically, have all those thoughts and feelings about what you really want because that also ties into negotiation. Natalie also had some great tips from the point of view of not forgetting that this actually starts at the beginning of your interview experience rather than waiting for the offer. Many companies don't talk about salaries up until the end of the interview process, which I think is really not helpful to either the candidates or the company. So if this is the case, I would recommend to any candidate to discuss the salary range on the first interview. So by the end of this interview, you can ask if there is a salary range for this position. And you know, if, it's, if it is wildly off of your expectations, I would say like maybe it's not worth it to continue the process, but do mention to them what is a good number for you just in case, because it can open an opportunity maybe in the future. Um, and also, I think it's important to know the salary, like going to the interview, already knowing the salary that you would feel comfortable with, and then adding an extra 20%. Uh, because the company may be able, may, they may be able to offer you that, but if not, they would still try to sell you the role to you and maybe add other benefits if they cannot add this 20%. And it doesn't look bad if you end up accepting that because it's just a slightly, it's, it's just a slightly lower than your original request. Finally, let's hear from Amanda. She had so many great tips. So I'm including a lot more of her audio here. So again, take your notes here. It's absolutely a candidate's market. As I understand, it's like that worldwide. Um, Candidates should do research on LinkedIn. There's a section for salary research that you can use. All you have to do is confidentially enter your own salary, and then you can look at other people's salary confidentially. It's just categorized. There's also a free website called salary.com. Do research. See what kind of is market value. Also consider your own compensation. If you're changing jobs to a job that is similar to the job that you have, you should 
ask for 10 to 15% more than you're earning. If you're going to a job that's a significant increase, say you're going from a manager to a director role, you should consider that. You know, you're taking on more responsibility. It's going to be more stressful, more challenging. You know, I don't think asking for a 20% increase is unreasonable. Again, legally in the US, most employers cannot ask what someone is making currently. Uh, I wouldn't offer that, whether it's legal or not. I wouldn't offer, oh, I'm currently making X. Just say, I would really like to target something in this range. Or you can also say, I'm open to a fair offer. That gives you room to negotiate. What I would not do is throw out a number unless they really push you for a kind of like bottom line number. You may have a number in mind that is less than what they're willing to offer. So if you've thrown that number out, they're going to say, oh, great, we can get this person for cheaper. And so you don't want to leave money on the table. So I try to recommend that candidates avoid giving a number. Either say, I'm open to a fair offer. I'm willing to discover something in this range. And I would also have it in your mind what your bottom line is. Not just what's your bottom line on maintaining your life and your livelihood, but what are you going to be excited about? You know, work is hard. Work is called work. <laughs> and so you, you want to be earning an income that makes you excited to get out of bed every day and get after it. It makes you excited when there's a problem in the evening and you have to deal with it and be away from your family, you know? So you really need to think about what is going to make you happy in terms of compensation. Money isn't everything, but you can't get much without it. So <laughs> know your worth ahead of time. I, Unless they're financially struggling, they should be able to come up with your salary if it's reasonable. So I think if you can have some general market knowledge, knowledge of your own financial situation, and knowledge of that sort of magic solution of this is my what my livelihood demands, this is what I know sort of the stress level of this job is adding those things together. What's going to make me excited to work hard every day. Um, so it's kind of a taking inventory of what's happening, what your personal situation is and what you think the market will bear. Okay. Are you ready for more nuggets of wisdom? Next, I ask them, what are their top tips they wish they could share with all outstanding potential candidates? This is what they had to say. Uh, maybe it's just a hot take, but I actually see sometimes, I, I see executives fall into the same traps that early uh, career engineers fall in, which is like not being proactive and engaged in their process. So like proactive is like, well, how's, how's your resume look? I see a lot of executive resumes and it looks, and I think being proactive of making sure like you have a good like presence, uh, whether it be like LinkedIn or like you have a good resume, I think like being proactive in that way, I think being engaged in a process is actually very important. I think executives probably do a little bit better in this and in that they see a interview process as kind of like two-sided, whether, whereas earlier stage, your uh, earlier career people, they might say like, hey, I'm going to go through this company's process. Whereas again, like an executive will say, hey, it's like, um, you know, it, it's actually like interviewing both ways. So I think like being engaged in a process, it's always like, at least for early stage stars that I work with, it's always a little bit malleable. So 
uh, maybe I could get a little bit tactical, right? So being engaged in a process like, okay, um, did a like hiring manager screen. Okay, like what did that person say, right? You know, like talking to your recruiter, like, or talking to the internal recruiter, like, hey, what does that person say? What's the feedback? Like, what, what are areas are missing? Can I clarify, right? And I think that is actually like really, really important as well. Like that's how you be engaged. And then we get to hear from Amanda. She actually has a follow-on from her negotiation one. Start high. You know, if the company is reasonable, and I would only want to work for a reasonable company, if they're reasonable and you give them a number that's a bit more than they can afford, hopefully they'll say, well, that's a bit more than we can afford. We were hoping to get something you know, a bit closer to 130 or maybe 125. Even 125 is 5,000 more than what your bottom line 120 was. So start high. You can always negotiate backwards. Now, if you come in and say, I only will take 140, well, okay, you've given no room to negotiate. But if you say, you know, I'd like something in the 140 range if possible. Okay, now you've given a little wiggle room. And maybe they'll say, great, we would be happy to offer you 140. And now you've you've earned more than your bottom line, so. And of course, she had three more amazing tips for you. So I've sort of spoken about these, but just to recap, one, know your worth. Really think about the salary situation and what you need ahead of time. Something else to consider, I know in the UK, your health insurance is not covered by the employer, but in the US it is. That's really important. So you need to think about what kind of coverage you need. And in the UK, of course, any other kind of benefits, whether it's time off or uh, other issues like that. So think about all of that. Know your worth going into it and what you need. Um, and then I talked about having sort of five things in mind for, for what's most important. I would say the other kind of two tips are be mindful of what's important to you personally and be mindful of what's important to you professionally. I think so many people go into interview process, the interview process, like it's um, a theater, like it's a play. How do I perform? How do I answer these questions correctly? And yes, you have to perform. You know, the company is interviewing you. You have to be professional and put your best foot forward. But you also need to be asking yourself, does this opportunity present to me what I need professionally? And does this opportunity present to me what I need personally? Do I like these people? Can I imagine having a cup of tea with these people every day? Can I imagine working through challenging situations with these people every day? And further, you know, do they have a good work-life balance or whatever, whatever's important to you personally? So know your worth, really consider what's important personally and what's consider what's really important professionally. Yeah. So do your research. Uh, I feel like outstanding candidates spend some hours looking at the company's website, using the product or a free trial, if it's available, uh, looking at their socials. So basically gathering, gathering as much information as possible and then talking about what they learn and how is your work background ideal in this context, that, that, that what you learn. And then the to... I think this is something that makes candidates like really shine uh, is to go into the interview anticipating some of the problems that your potential manager is currently facing uh, and talk about what you would do during the first months as possible solutions to these problems. And it, it just makes such a difference to speak to someone who already has like an outlined strategy, even if 
if it doesn't 100% apply, because I mean, obviously you're not inside the company, but still like it shows that you're an expert in your field. I think a great candidate doesn't have an attitude of trying to convince the interviewer to hire them because the interview goes both ways. Uh, you're also interviewing the company. So you're interested in things like their culture, their communication style, their current challenges, the vision for the next years. Um, so yeah, just having that in your mind, I think it also makes a difference. I love that Natalie points out that the interview goes both ways. That is such an important piece to remember. So the preparation thing is certainly again, I mean, that's just number one. So I, I won't go over that again, but that's super, super important. The other thing was, you know, basically aligning with your purpose. Uh, and, and I think that's something where there's a lo- little bit of soul searching. Where I, Another thing where I don't think, I think folks could spend more time finding out what they love and why they're here on earth, which, you know, <laughs> you don't want to get too deep, but you know, what do you connect with? And the, the most successful people that we work with really have spent time researching, studying, and, and being self-aware of themselves. And they know what they like and they know what they don't like. And so I think that's really, really important because when you get into an environment that you're, that you're aligned with, it just, you shine and you shine above everybody else. Uh, the last thing I would say for candidates is the follow-up part of it. Um, when you're interviewing with people, the follow-up is critical. And I, and I, there's some folks that will just do a quick follow-up. Hey, thank you for your time. Uh, you know, I really look forward to next steps. That's better than no follow-up, but I'd really like to see somebody say, what did you, what did you get from the interview? Right. What did you gather? What can you, can you talk more about that? Or can you say, Hey, how, this is how I could impact that or whatever. Just, it shows that you're listening your follow-up and follow-through shows that you can write, um, you're thoughtful. Those three things, I think when you align those together, it's uh, you're a really formidable candidate. I loved Joe's point there that you can shine. If you are in the right role, you will shine. That's so incredibly important. Um, I thought that was actually the best question throughout this entire interview. But I have two more juicy things for you to come. So keep listening. And don't forget, before we dig into those final two questions, do not forget that you can connect with all four of these recruiters over on LinkedIn. Their LinkedIn profile URLs are all in the show notes. Go and connect with them. These people are extraordinary and you need them in your network. Aside from anything else, they might just have the next opportunity for you in their inbox already. But let's go on to the next question. This is the penultimate one I asked them, which is, what is the number one pet peeve they have with candidates when they're working to recruit a great next leader? I'm going to start with Natalie, because she's the only one that dug straight in to something around equity, diversity, and inclusion. I found it fascinating that she went straight to this because of her current work. So when we're recruiting leaders, uh, we're also having in mind that they will be having a significant impact in the culture of the company, and they will be also hiring managers. Um, So I think that, you know, um, as a leader, you do have to know your approach to diversity and inclusion and educate yourself about unconscious bias during hiring, um, because these are things that well, at least in our case, the company does ask during the interviews whenever we're recruiting leaders. So something that comes up very 
frequently uh, is that candidates say things like, I don't hire, uh, I don't know, like young candidates because this and that, or I don't like to hire senior candidates, or I only like to hire candidates that have this certain educational education background. So, you know, even if it's well-intended, it does show that there is some lacking of uh, education over, you know, diversity and inclusion. But then both Joe and Amanda had more standard takes on this question. I mean, it's, well, this, this kind of sounds crazy. Engagement. Um, and especially now more than ever, where candidates are getting tons of calls and, and they're just taking some calls, but some of them are engaged and some of them are not. You know, we have a saying, if you're 60, 70 or 80 percent interested in this opportunity, you have to act 100 percent in every interview process, um, because the goal is, is that you want to get all the way through the process. So you get educated enough along through all of the steps. Right. Your initial interview, you're probably not going to get all the answers to the questions that you have. But if you get through each individual phase and you get an offer, then you can assess, hey, is this the right opportunity for me? So just general disrespect, and that could come in the form of blatant disrespect. I've had candidates say, well, you're just a recruiter. The hiring manager is more important. <laughs> that doesn't happen very often, but it has it, do, it has happened. Uh, and then, of course, like lack of responsiveness or slow to respond. I've had actually three candidates, high-level, C-level candidates in the last few months who were just slow to respond. And so I told the hiring manager, I, d I no longer can recommend this candidate. So the way you interact with me through our process is my guess about how you would interact with your coworkers and your employer. And I am watching every single thing that you do and reporting back to the employer. I consider them a partner and I watch everything. So consider me an equal part of the hiring process. <laughs> And whether it's me or a receptionist, you know, any person that you interact with at a potential employer, whether they're a consultant for the company or an employee of the company, everyone's watching. I had a candidate recently that was rude to a receptionist and they did not get the offer. And then the final question, which if you are a hiring manager or you ever plan to be, I really wanted you to hear because I think a lot of the time our relationship as a hiring manager with a recruiter is so incredibly important. They have a very long to-do list. If you are the easy person to work with, they are going to move heaven and earth for you because it's a joy to work with you. So I asked them, what is the number one piece of advice you would give to hiring managers to improve their talent acquisition process? And this is what they had to say. When you feel like you've maxed out your empathy, there is always more room for empathy. And I think like in a like um, um, a talent acquisition process, um, I, I think sometimes there could be a lack of empathy for the candidate. So when you have good empathy for the candidate, um, you're going to want to work on a great candidate experience. So that's a tactical thing, right? Like if you want a good talent acquisition process, create an, uh, a great candidate experience that you will want to uh, go through. You know, I think it's it's just a hurdle and it's just to filter a bunch of candidates out. But there are so many awesome candidates that don't have the same background or the same stereotypical story. 
So when you see things like that, if they don't have the degree, but they have these certs and they have, they're trying to get education on the side, you could see they're doing it hand in hand. I love those people. And uh, so I would just try to pay attention to the things that they're doing outside of work, activities, hobbies, where does their passion lie, right? Because I think that's, you know, if you can find somebody that's intrinsically motivated that comes into your environment, those are the best people. I would recommend to focus on the long-term impact of each new hire you make and focus less on the time to fill a position. And, you know, having frank conversations across the leadership team about how you resource your teams, how you reinforce prioritizing quality and diversity, and uh, how reports and goals have a high impact. So which metrics are being identified to measure progress and where is the focus? I think those, um, yeah, those things are going to shape the, the talent acquisition process and also the company's culture. People don't quit companies, they quit people. When I get on the phone with a potential candidate, I ask them, why did you consider having this conversation with me? Most of the people I talk to are not actively looking for jobs. They're just open to having a chat with me. So I always ask, why did you have this conversation with me? And nine times out of 10, they say something like, I no longer get on with my manager. My manager doesn't give me opportunities to grow. I feel stifled by my manager. So it's usually a people or personality type problem. So when you're hiring, I think people get very hung up on the skill set. Does this person have the right degree? Does this person have 10 years of experience? Does this person have X, Y, Z, et cetera? Those things are important. You can't hire an architect to be uh, you know, a software engineer, obviously. But I think equally important is the personality fit, is the cultural fit, is the timing fit. In other words, the timing of their career. So yes, come up with four or five most important skill set pieces, but come up with four or five most important personality, cultural timing fits. So, you know, we have a very jovial office. We need someone that's fun and likes to have a laugh with the team. We need someone who's at the director level now, but in the next five years could become a VP. Is that this person? We need someone who's really nice to all of our consultants and vendors. <laughs> Is that this person? You know, think about those sort of soft skills and weigh those equally as importantly as the as the hard skills. Uh, I think that people tend hiring managers tend to overlook the personality thing. The other issue is that with hard skills, you can teach someone a skill. You can teach someone how to use a software. You can teach someone how to organize things or whatever. You cannot teach someone how to be kind, empathetic, polite, maybe. But do you really want to teach your employee how to have table manners? Probably not. So <laughs> um, keep that in mind. I always tell my hiring managers to constantly ask themselves, can this person achieve our goals? And would I enjoy having lunch with them once in a while? Ask yourself that throughout the interview process. Can this person meet our goals? And do I like them? Can we be pals? I found all of that just completely fascinating. They all have things to say that I'd never even thought of, even though I do 
help people land jobs. I've helped hiring managers hire people more efficiently or more effectively. I've improved the relationship between hiring managers and talent acquisition people. And yeah, I've heard stuff today that I have never come across before. So I hope you found this as useful as I did. Um, If you loved what they're saying, as I said, go and connect with these people they may well have your next opportunity landing in their inbox sometime soon. And if not, they are connected to other recruiters who might just have the same. But until next time, remember, stay on your tech leadership game. Follow your dreams because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast.